Well, as we've mentioned numerous times this morning, today is in fact Mother's Day, and I could take a long time to think of different sorts of examples of the impact that my mother has had on my life. But one of the the minor things, just sort of to get us into the message this morning, that she taught me is how to wash the dishes. Um, Now, when I grew up, we never had a a dishwasher in our home, uh, or at least the motorized kind. Uh, So there's there were always dishes. And as soon as we were, uh, I think probably as soon as we were tall enough to look over the counter, we were responsible for doing the dishes, at least during supper time. But mom always helped us, and she was teaching us little things about doing the dishes along the way. And one of the little things she taught us was the hotter the water, the better the dishes would come clean. For a while, I couldn't even stick my hands into the water But eventually, my hands got desensitized, and I've brought my mom's legacy into our home now so that when I do the dishes at home, I frequently hear, I don't know how you can take that water being so hot. But, uh, to mix the metaphors here, I guess the the proof is in the pudding. The results are cleaner dishes. Well, Mark 7 is introduced by questions about clean dishes, of all things. You wouldn't think that would be in the Bible, but it is in there. So I want you to turn back to Mark chapter 7, and we're going to make it through the whole chapter today. We spent three messages on Mark 6, but we're going to do Mark 7 all uh, today. Right at the beginning of Mark 7, we'll find out that the religious people, the Pharisees, the scribes, they have gone and found Jesus. They, They come all the way down from in the south end of Israel, in Jerusalem, and, and come up north to where Jesus was, had been teaching around the Sea of Galilee. And it seems they've come specifically to try to find another reason to, to get him, to trap him. It seems like it's their special assignment, because the first thing it says there in verse 2 is that they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. Their hands were unclean. Their hands were unwashed. And this becomes the issue of the whole chapter. It gives Jesus a chance to teach about purity. It's almost like Jesus said, thanks for bringing that up, guys. And now that you've brought it up, I'm going to tell you a little bit about being washed. Because it's one of the most important things that you need to know. You are right. Clean is good. But being clean means something totally different than you think. And so the Pharisees launch Jesus into a teaching on the meaning of purity. So, what's the big deal for the Pharisees about the disciples of Jesus eating with hands that are defiled and unwashed? Well, at the beginning here, Mark is going to interject and explain. And that explanation is the section that probably is in brackets there in in verses 3 to 5 in your version. The Pharisees made a big deal about washing. Well, we think that's important too. We, we like having clean hands when we eat. We tell our kids to wash their hands before they come in for dinner. We don't know where they've been. They, they may have been playing in the mud or, or they may have gone to the washroom or, or they may have been petting the dog or they may have picked up a bacteria or a virus from someone at school and we don't want them getting that into their mouth and then getting sick. So for us, it's, it's part of personal hygiene. We know that disease spreads through touch 
And so even in our church here, we post signs and, and provide antiseptic to minimize the spread of bacteria through touch. But for the Pharisees, this was a much bigger deal than just hygiene. But it did have to do with getting contaminated or getting infected. Only, listen to this, the infecting agent for them was Gentiles or Gentile territory. Now, there were some Old Testament laws from Exodus and Leviticus that talked about priests washing their hands before they came into the tabernacle. But that was it. It was only for priests. But as the Jews started a little bit more interacting, and by Jesus' day, living among the Gentiles, washings and cleanliness took on a whole life of its own. If you came into contact with unclean Gentiles, you needed to get clean. And so the Jews thought that the Old Testament laws that were written, places like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that they weren't clear enough. They needed to be interpreted. They they needed some help. They needed to be explained and expanded. It just wasn't sufficient the way it was. And so they came up with a, a huge set of writings, what they called tradition. Now, if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you knew how important tradition is. And that tradition was, they called it the Mishnah. And a huge part of this tradition had to do with different kinds of washings that were required so that they'd maintain their purity. They didn't want to be stained. They didn't want to get infected. They didn't want to be unclean. And so Mark takes a few verses there to explain the fact that good Jews are scrupulous washers. They like to make sure their hands, their cups, their pots, their furniture are clean. And they get this all from verse 5, the tradition of the elders. This set of laws that were written, as they said, to put a fence around the law. That's what that tradition was for. It was protecting the law. But this whole document, and it was a huge document, was an addition to the Torah. It was, a, it was tradition and it was an addition to the law. The first five books of our Bible. And they believed this tradition carried equal weight with the law. And so they come to Jesus and ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. But this sets up as the perfect chance for Jesus to show them that they're missing the intention of the original law. And Jesus accuses the Pharisees of not only giving equal weight to this man-made tradition, but of thinking it to be more authoritative than the written law. And it gives Jesus the perfect opportunity to explain and to show what kind of cleanness ultimately pleases God. And so there are two questions that that are raised from this encounter. And Jesus answers them both. Those two questions are, number one, how does one truly please God? How does one truly honor God, worship God? And the second question is, how does one come clean? before God. So just keep those two questions in mind as we're walking through Mark chapter 7. 
So that sets up the background. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in a violation of the washing rules. It's almost, you know, it's almost like those, this is a little bit personal here, it's almost like those photo radar traps that are waiting in school zones while school is in session, when there's no danger, there's no children anywhere. But never mind about that, I'm just a little bit bitter. (laughs) Well, the Pharisees see the disciples disobeying, and so they go to their leader and ask, why are they doing that? And from verses 6 to 13, Jesus responds. So let's pick it up at Mark 7, verse 6. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from God, whatever you would gain from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things do you do. Well, you know this isn't going to go too good for the Pharisees when the first thing Jesus does is call them hypocrites. And he says, with your lips you honor me, but your heart is far from me. Your worship is vain. Your worship is empty. Their problem is that even though they think they're putting a fence around the law, around the law of Moses, they're actually ignoring the true intention of the law of Moses. And so Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. But you hear echoes of our questions in there, don't you? They think they're pleasing God through their adherence to tradition. Yet Jesus says, in doing that, you are not honoring me or worshiping me. And then there's the question of, how do we come before God? And here the accusation from Jesus is really a tragic one. Your heart is far from me. They thought their traditions, they thought their rules, their laws would win them approval from God. Yet the opposite happens. Jesus says, you're far from God. Now in some ways, they had the right idea. They were correct in assuming that the only way to come before God, the the only way to please God was to be clean. And Jesus would have totally agreed with them on that. There's a definite separation between man and God. And it's because of exactly what they thought it was, of God's purity and of man's filthiness. We are not clean enough to be able to approach God. There's an unfittedness in us for God's presence. But the Pharisees had a totally wrong idea about how to become pure and clean. They thought they could get there by washing their hands and their dishes and their furniture. And if anyone did not meet those requirements, they were pretty quick to make a a list and to check it off about how someone was unclean. And that's exactly what they do when they see the disciples eating. Unclean hands, check. 
But Jesus calls them out. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them pretenders. That's what that word means. Play actors. And then he gives them an example of the way that they reject the commandment through all their extra stuff. And isn't isn't it interesting that on Mother's Day, we get to this passage where Jesus uses the fifth commandment about honoring our mothers and fathers to show these religious leaders how they've corrupted the original intention of the law. One of the ways we honor God is to honor our parents. If we don't honor our parents, we don't honor God, and our hearts are proven to be far from God. So on this Mother's Day, let's be careful to honor our mothers and our fathers. And this applies to, whether, to you whether you are young or whether you are middle-aged and your parents are older. In this particular example, the commandments of men that he brings up here were encouraging people to dishonor their parents when they were older by not providing for them. How were they doing that? Look again at verses 10 to 12. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Well, what is this korban thing all about? We certainly don't have anything like this today anymore, but we have something like it. Under normal circumstances, when parents, in, in that day and age, when parents got older and couldn't provide for themselves, their children would care for them and provide for them. But they had this little loophole in the law called korban. It's almost like what we would call deferred giving, where you would set some money or some property aside or, or bequeath it to someone, but no one could touch it. You would still have control over it until you died. Well, these people in their sort of outward show of piety, would dedicate some things to God. But it was all just an act designed to protect their money and their property. If a parent would come and ask for help, the son would say, "Uh, sorry, mom, can't help you. That money that was supposed to be for you, um, it's tied up, you know, korban. They basically had found a way, of provi- a way around providing for their own parents. And they attributed it to the fact that they were saving it for God. But Jesus comes and says, that's crazy. Your tradition has just totally reversed the intention or the heart behind the command to honor your mother and father. And so verse 13, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And that's just one example. Many such things you do, he says. And so Jesus then turns away from the Pharisees. They've created this whole system that's totally missed the point and in fact relegates the word of God to a place of lesser authority than the list of their man-made traditions. Their tradition addition has ripped the heart of the, out of the intention of the commandments to honor parents. In fact, they now neglect parents. And they, by doing that, Jesus says, you kill the word of God. And so Jesus turns away from the Pharisees, but he turns to the crowd there in verse 14. And now he's going to give them the lesson of the tradition-loving Pharisees. And he's going to answer our two questions. How do you worship God, and how do you come clean before God? How, which is really a question of how can someone approach a holy God? 
He says, hear me, all of you, and understand. Jesus turns everything the Pharisees taught upside down. It's not the stuff on the outside, he says, hands, cups, pots, that's going to take care of your problem. In fact, it's not the hands and the cups and the pots that are the problem. We are the problem. Our hearts are the problem. He says there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. This isn't about hands and cups and pots anymore. It's about people and it's about their hearts. We don't need to wash our dishes. We need to take some heavy-duty, grease-cutting detergent to our hearts. But that's just as impossible as it sounds. We can't clean our hearts. We are unable to change the stuff that comes out of our self-centered hearts. The truth is that our hearts need to be cut out. But we can't just do that. So what do we do? Well, if you throw your hands up and say, I don't know, well, don't despair, because the disciples didn't understand either. Verses 17 and 18. But there's the hitch. They couldn't understand any of this on the front side of the cross. Jesus has to do something about the situation. Jesus is the only one that can do something about our hearts. The stuff that we eat, it just passes through and comes out again. Eating is not the issue. Eating is not our biggest problem. Eating unclean foods with unclean hands that come from unclean dishes does not make us clean where it really matters. And then Jesus just lays it all out there. The Pharisees had their list. It was all about what comes in from the outside. So they had their list that they would check off. But now, Jesus makes his own list of the stuff that comes from the outside. Look at verse Look at verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. It's law. But it's not the commandments of men, it's the commandments of God. It's an understanding of the law that's not related to what we see on the outside, but an understanding of the law that's related to what comes from within our desperately, as Jeremiah puts it, our desperately wicked hearts. And it's a pretty comprehensive list. Includes thoughts, includes actions. It's all those things that proceed from the heart that now condemn us. We are lawbreakers. We have filthy hearts and we can't change them. So where does that leave us? It leaves us desperate. It leaves us searching for a solution. If our outside attempts of cleaning our futile hearts, if they're futile, if those efforts are futile, how do we come clean before God? Well, there's a little clue there at the end of verse 19 where it says, Jesus declared all foods unclean. He's talking about foods there, but we quickly realize that Jesus is the solution. Jesus can make declarations. And he can declare things that were previously unclean to be clean. Jesus can declare what is pleasing to God. And Jesus can declare how we can come clean. Jesus will become the solution to how we can approach God. 
And this clue is going to come to full flower in the next two encounters he has here in Mark 7. The first is with this woman that we read about before in in verses 24 to 30. Jesus is going to illustrate how he is the solution to our filthy heart issue. In order to do that, he has to leave the Pharisees. They're not going to help here. And even the disciples don't understand. And so he goes to Tyre and Sidon of all places. Gentile territory. Unclean territory. And this is the place that Jesus chooses to show how someone can please God and come clean before God. And so Jesus goes into a house. And in verse 27, a woman does what? She approaches Jesus. It says she came and fell before his feet. If the, I mean, if the disciples were here, they'd be flabbergasted. What? A woman? A Gentile woman? A Gentile woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit? Whoa. Talk about your list of offenses. The Pharisees, if they were still around, would have had their, knickers in a, would have had their tunics in a knot. <laughs> They'd be checking off their list like crazy. I mean, her, her, her rap list is way too long to get close to any Jew, never mind a teacher or a rabbi. Yet she approaches Jesus. How dare she? Well, the biggest reason that she comes to Jesus is that she is a mother. And she has a daughter that needs help. Her child is in trouble, and this mother will do anything in order to save her child. That's what mothers do. Mothers care for their children, right? I know when when one of our kids gets sick, my, my wife will quickly dig out her thick medical book and try to figure out how to help. And if it's serious, it doesn't matter what time it is, we take him to emergency. Mothers will, will break with convention and with what might be proper to get help for a child. I love, uh, I'm not sure if they're here, the Chabadis, I love getting their updates on little Molly. I mean, when Lonnie writes, she is detailed to the max. <laughs> and Lonnie has made sure she is informed about any tiny bit of information that might be helpful. This is one of the reasons we honor our mothers. They will sacrifice whatever they can to provide for us and to, and to love us and to make sure we are healthy. Well, this mother here in Mark 7 is doing exactly that. She has a daughter with an unclean spirit. She wants her healed and she'll go to any lengths to do it, including begging a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, someone who she had heard might be able to do something for her daughter. It's her desperation that led her to Jesus. And Jesus uses this case of a desperate mother to illustrate this point of how someone can go from being unclean to clean, unwashed to washed, defiled to undefiled. After the woman begs Jesus, Jesus responds with, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Excuse me? What does that have to do with anything? Well, again, we need a bit of background here. The Jews were commonly referred to as God's children. And Jews typically referred to Gentiles, like this lady, as dogs. 
So if that's true, two things seem to be going on here. One, Jesus is equating this woman with dogs. And two, Jesus is saying, is that, saying that he came to feed the Jews first. And both are true to a point. But we shouldn't see Jesus' comment here as an insult to this woman. In fact, this mother actually agrees with Jesus in her answer, which is coming right away. And Jesus doesn't use the normal word for the, for the mongrel kind of dogs that were running around loose. The word Jesus uses here was for a house pet. It was a, a diminutive of that word. A better translation might be puppy. And so Jesus is really just using a factual analogy that we all understand today. Children get to eat before the pets. But the woman responds by saying, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat children's crumbs. Now going back to the Jew-Gentile thing, this woman is affirming that Jesus came for the Jews first. But she's also affirming that there's plenty left over for the Gentiles. You see what's going on here? This woman got it. She understood. She figured out that there is a way to approach God. There is a way to come clean before God. The Pharisees missed it with, their, with all their tradition. The disciples didn't understand. But this woman, this Gentile, defiled woman, this desperate woman who had a child with an unclean spirit, understood it perfectly. And Jesus heals her daughter. He washes the unclean spirit out of her daughter. He says, for this statement, for what she just said, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Well, what made her clean? It was Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can make us clean. We have to come to him in a state of desperation, just like a mother with a sick child who has no hope for healing until she hears about Jesus. She comes begging, and then she has faith that Jesus has enough grace to wash even her. You see, Jesus is the only one that can fix the problem of our heart. This natural bent that we all have towards sin and rebellion and lawlessness. That list from verses 21 and 22. And we can't do anything about that. Jesus is the only one that can bring people that are far from him people who are unclean and let them eat at the table with him. It's only through Jesus. And it's only through the kind of faith in Jesus that this mother had. I love how Tim Keller describes this woman's faith. He says she had a rightless, a rightless assertiveness. She was persistent. She was plucky. She knew Jesus could give her what she needed. But it was also a rightless assertiveness. She also knew she didn't deserve it. She knew she didn't deserve anything from Jesus on the basis of her cleanness because she wasn't. She knew she was a a dog. But she wanted from Jesus what she didn't deserve on the basis of his purity. And by having that kind of trust in Jesus, in who Jesus is and in what he could do, she then became clean. Well, how can Jesus just do that? How can he just make someone clean? Well, enter very quickly illustration number two in verses 31 to 37. We're not going to take the time to read that, but here we have a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. This man 
would have no way of understanding Jesus' words. He was deaf. So some of his friends bring him to Jesus and beg Jesus to heal him. How's Jesus going to deal with him? He's, a, he's an outcast. He's deaf. He won't be able to hear the gospel. And he can't even interact with Jesus because he can't talk. Yet Jesus isn't stumped. He has the answer. Again, he has the solution. He is the solution. He takes him away by himself to avoid any embarrassment that he would have already had because of the fact he was an outcast. And he puts his finger in his ears, kind of like a wet willy, (laughs) and he touches the man's tongue with his spit. And then Jesus looks to heaven, he sighs, and he says in the man's language, be opened. And everything is instantly healed. Now, you look at that and you go, this is just plain weird, isn't it? What's going on here? Well, instead of talking, because this man was deaf anyways, Jesus uses nonverbal speech. You could say he's using sign language. What's he doing? He's, he's actually entering into this man's world. He's identifying with this man, and Jesus gives of himself and touches this man and heals him, and he, he washes him. This, friends, is how we can come clean. Jesus has to somehow identify with us. He has to enter our world. And he does that. He did that by becoming a man. He does that by being a totally pure, undefiled man for the whole of his life. And he would later suffer and give himself up on a cross for all those who would repent and believe on him. And he would touch us, not with his spit. In fact, he was actually spit upon but he would pour out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Putting these two illustrations together, Jesus is showing us here that we are absolutely dependent on him to make us clean. We can clean our hands and our pots and our pans enough, or or we can't clean our hands and our pots and our pans enough to merit his love and his grace. But he can give us a new heart. He can take away the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel puts it in Ezekiel 36. So what pleases God? It's faith. Not in our own efforts to be made clean, but faith faith alone in the Son of God alone and what he accomplished for us in his life and his death and in his resurrection. How can we approach God? We can approach God because Jesus identified with us. He was the child of God. He was the child in that story. Yet he was tossed away from the table. In a way, he even became a dog. So that orphans like you and like me could be adopted and could eat at the same table. This chapter ends with verse 37, where it says, The people say this about Jesus. He has done all things well. And therein, my friends, lies our hope. Your only hope when you stand before God is not to say, look at how I clean my hands. That would be deadly. Because it hasn't dealt with your heart problem. Your only hope when you stand before God is to say, look at the one who has done all things well. Look at the one who is totally pure. Friends, trust 
in what Christ has done. Come clean before God based on, not on your purity, but on, or your efforts at purity, but on Christ's total purity. Don't be far from God. Draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. Let's pray.